chapter 3 the saga of the al amin movement building institutions brick by brick how egos brought cracks in the walls in the beginning of the 20th century several communities in the erstwhile princely state of mysore launched initiatives to establish organizations to take care of their educational and cultural needs similarly muslims also established the central muslim association of mysore state the association was founded by community leaders like khan bahadur abbas khan nawab gulam ahmed kalam sahib janab safdar hussain and mr h mohammed khan the central muslim association popularly known as cma was the only important muslim organization in old mysore state till 1966 when the al amin education society was established for a very long time cma remained a body to liaison with the state government and the community on various issues and for the other activities like the establishment of a hostel for the benefit of muslim students later on in 1960s they established a primary school and a high school in 1970s the abbas khan college for women in bangalore in its more than 100 years of existence when compared to similar social organizations of other communities the cma didn't progress much i had the opportunity of being president of the cma for more than 8 years i did my best to change the culture of the organization but i regret that i could not do much due to the existence of groupism in the organization however i'm happy that abbas khan college is one of the premier muslim colleges where girls Muslim as well as others can pursue their education up to the postgraduate level the Al Amin Education Society was established in the year 1966 it has an interesting history Dr Mumtaz Ahmed Khan a medical doctor by profession had just moved to Bangalore after his marriage while pursuing his post graduation in surgery at the Stanley Medical College in Chennai he was visiting Bangalore regularly He had done his studies at uh, Jamal Muhammad College in Tiruchinappalli, Trichy, and the principal of college once mentioned to him that despite being a big city, there was no Muslim-run first-grade degree college in Bangalore. Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan took the initiative to discuss this matter with a few like-minded people like uh, Mrs. Abbasia Begum Mechi, MLC, Mr. Abid Sharif, a social worker, Mr. Ismail Sharif, a retired IAS officer, and some other, and established an organization in the name of. Alamin Education Society Mrs Abbasia Begum and Mr Abid Sharif were the founder chairpersons and the secretaries of the Alamin Education Society being an MLC Mrs Abbasia had influence in the government and so the society was able to get permission to start a college the Alamin Art Science and Commerce College in 1966 the college was started in a bungalow of Dr Mumtaz Ahmed Khan's father-in-law in the beginning Dr Mumtaz faced considerable difficulty in establishing the college the college had no funds even to pay salaries for its staff gradually however several individuals joined dr mumtaz in his efforts to get the college going and extend their support in mobilizing donations to run the college till 1972 the college was facing a huge financial constraint later when mr sm yahya became the education minister he included the alamein college for being eligible for the grant in aid from the government numerous muslim leaders such as mr raziz seth justice iqbal hussain mr muhammad ali then a minister in the government of karnataka and several other prominent people extended their support to dr mumtaz in the initial years the al amin education society required dedicated attention and dr mumtaz devoted all his energy to shape up the college he inducted prominent muslim educators like 
पीर साहब मियाँ मीर जाफर अली अली हफीज साहेब इब्राहिम खलील उल्ला खान एंड रहमतुल्ला खान इन टू द एग्जीक्यूटिव कमिटी ऑफ द अलमीन एजुकेशन सोसाइटी ही ऑल्सो इंक्लूडेड प्रोमिनेंट मुस्लिम फ्रॉम केरला लाइक हाजी रमजान एंड एन ए मोहम्मद एक्सेट्रा एलरली मुस्लिम लाइक जस्टिस इकबाल हुसैन रहमतुल्ला खान दी आई एस ऑफिसर अब्दुल गफार हाजी लतीफ इस्माइल शरीफ रिटायर्ड आई एस ऑफिसर एंड फ्यू अदर्स ऑल्सो ज्वाइन द एग्जीक्यूटिव कमिटी ऑफ द अलमीन सोसाइटी एंड एक्सटेंडेड देयर सपोर्ट माई एसोसिएशन विद द अलमीन एजुकेशन सोसाइटी बिगैन आफ्टर थ्री और फोर ईयर्स ऑफ इट्स एस्टेब्लिशमेंट इन I joined the executive committee of the society. I remained a member only for one term from 1969 to 1972. I was not actively involved in the society though I was a part of the Al-Amin movement's institutions after the demise of the founder chairman Mrs Abbasia Begum Justice Iqbal Hussain a retired judge became the chairman followed by Rahmatullah Sahab and later Mr Aziz Said whose support to Dr Mumtaz in the early period of society was very crucial he played a dynamic role in promoting the society as a minister for works he helped the society get a prime 6 acres of wakf land on its sidaiya road just opposite lalbag on a 99 year lease for a nominal lease rent of 2500 rupees the land that was leased out to the society was illegally encroached upon through his perseverance determination dr mumtaz ahmed khan risked his life to remove the encroachment i again entered the alamin society in the year 1982 and became its chairman when i was the chairman the alamin art science and commerce college had been shifted to a new campus on at sidaiya road the college was a boon to the muslim community muslim students who were struggling to get a seat in other colleges began to flock there during this period there was a good team of faculty members like uh, meer jafar ali professor of urdu and peer sabmia professor of commerce in addition to their other responsibilities they played the role of public relations officers in the college their charismatic personalities and excellent communications popularized the college Alamein College acquired a good public image. The first batch of Alamein College students was very bright. It included students like Zameer Pasha who later became IAS officer and Syed Sadaqat Piran who later became secretary of Alamein Society. The name and fame of the college spread rapidly and many Iranian students enrolled. One of them later on even became the foreign minister of Iran. He was Mr Manochar Mitaki. Mr Sadaqat Piran a next student of the college had taken over as the secretary of the society and mr aziz said was chairman mr pira was a youngster with much enthusiasm after becoming secretary he started adding new courses the alamin pharmacy college was started and it inducted a dynamic principal dr shivananda who made the pharmacy college one of the best in the country from 1992 onwards dr mumtaz ahmed khan left the alamin society He now had very little role to play in the society's development. He shifted his activities to focus on the establishment of Alamin Medical College and the Alamin Hospital. When I took over as the chairman of the society, the construction in the college campus was very unorganized and some temporary sheds were constructed to run the college. At this stage, Mr Irfan Razak of Prestige Group of Builders joined the society as a member with his help. we developed a campus in 3 acres of land in an organized way later on mr irfan razak became the secretary of the society mr irfan razak had the experience as a reputed builder from bangalore and with amanat bank's help we were able to build a beautiful campus during this period of my chairmanship we started many new courses such as post graduation in pharmacy 
biology and chemistry and colleges like uh, a beard college a law college a college of management a college of hotel management in addition to this the alamin education society purchased 60 acres of land in birdi town in order to establish alamin university a milestone in the history of alamin education society was the appointment of mr m a ataullah as the director of the campus he was my hostel mate in mysore and retired as senior general manager from indian telephone industries mr ataullah brought his expertise as a psychologist and a human resource developer into the alamin college campus the college was desperately needed an academician to promote professionalism in the campus and mr taula fit this role very well as a member of the university academic council he developed a good rapport with bangalore university this was a period when a stream of new courses flourished in alamin college it was heartening to see that after these courses began the alamin college became an institution for the masses and we had students from across india and from different communities not just muslims who sought admission this gave financial stability to the alamin education society along with the successes that were coming to us were also many moments of stress and anxiety this was the time when the alamin education society was at its peak of progress mr irfan razak had put his best efforts for the society because the executive committee had given him a free hand to function but dr mumtaz ahmed khan tried to destabilize the society and created differences in the alamin executive committee against me and mr irfan razak my popularity in the community as well as my political rise might have caused uneasiness to dr mumtaz and few others on hearsay the expenditure on construction of the alamin college campus was questioned when the matter was raised with the executive committee at the instance of dr mumtaz ahmed khan mr irfan razak submitted the accounts in a transparent manner both mr irfan razak and i were heartbroken at the role of dr mumtaz ahmed khan at this stage mr irfan and i offered to step down the executive committee realized their mistake and uh, and regretted raising the question an entire committee apologized to both of us this was in 1998 later dr mumtaz suggested to the committee members to recognize my services to the alamin education society and the alamin movement and nominated me for alamin the all india community leadership award for the year 2000 i was in no mood to accept this award but i was persuaded to do so on the 8th may in the year 2000 the award was conferred on me at a grand function the annual general body meeting of the executive committee was due in the 3rd week of may in the year 2000 and the members as usual were supposed to be elected unanimously just a day before the executive committee meeting i received a letter from dr mumtaz khan in the letter addressed to me he stated that uh, he felt i had a bigger role to play at the all india level and i should devote more time towards achieving scheduled bank status for manat bank he proposed the name of sayed sadaqat pira chairman of the alamin education society by then mr pira had completed his stint with the karnataka public service commission and was back as an active member in the alamin society i feel in retrospect that uh, This was a conspiracy on part of Dr Mumtaz to ensure that I did not continue as a chairman of the society. I felt the cracks on the walls of Alamin movement were clearly 
visible and the foundation was laid for the movement's downfall my dream to establish a university and expand the activities of alumin society was shattered by one decision of dr mumtaz after i left the society mr irfan razak and uh, mr sadaqat pira tried to continue the work which i had left unfinished but they were unable to understand the conspiracy and later both of them became victims of uh, dr mumtaz khan's dictatorial attitude and left the society after the departure of mr razak and mr pira from the society dr mumtaz brought such people into executive committee of the society who were only psychophants who had no vision and had no suitable track records the educational institutions that were established under the society are now being closed and are suffering because of mismanagement The arrogance of Dr Mumtaz is such that he picked up a person by name Mr Subhan Sharif who was attending his personal court cases and made him a secretary of the Alamein society he was never a part of the society the executive committee of the society is just a rubber stamp body the general body members of the society know nothing about the financial irregularities in the society the general body meetings of the society were conducted in presence of musalmen Dr Mumtaz sold 60 acres of prime land which the society had purchased for setting up a university to the owners of Wandala an amusement park near Biradi for a paltry sum of 2 crore rupees and this amount was used to bail out a financial company which was headed by Dr Mumtaz Ahmed Khan the financial company had nothing to do with the educational society or its objectives the land which was sold at 2 crores to Wandala is currently valued at 200 crore neither the executive committee nor the general body questioned this transaction because it was not brought to their notice at all it is not my intention to undermine the personality of dr mumtaz ahmed khan or his contribution to the alamin education society i mentioned the above facts to highlight certain facts about the society the society ought not to be the monopoly of one person several members of the community had joined in building and developing the society there are several unsung heroes who had silently contributed to society's success the tragic tale of alamin society is not unique many other muslim institutions in the past have also vanished because of the mistakes of one or two individuals who assume that they alone are responsible for it and adopt a dictatorial attitude misusing their powers misusing funds appointing dummy people who are good for nothing except nodding to whatever they say the alamin education society is just one of many such institutions which may vanish if timely remedial measures are not taken by the community having served the society for 18 years and having taken the popularity of some of its institutions to its pinnacle i pray to god to save these institutions which are a symbol of the muslim community's efforts and contributions al amin hospital dr abdul wahid was a famous cardiologist in bangalore a judge of the karnataka high court dr s a p raha had died and we were attending his funeral after the funeral ritual prayer and everything some of us along with dr wahid sat in a cafe for a cup of tea there dr wahid remarked that despite being such a large community in bangalore in terms of numbers the city's muslims didn't have a small clinic let alone a hospital 
these discussions led to a decision that we should start a hospital in Bangalore. Very soon, we assembled again at the residence of Padmashri Humayun Mirza, son of Sir Mirza Muhammad Ismail, former Diwan of Mysore. We formed a trust with seven trustees contributing 101 rupees each to its corpus. Mr. Humayu Mirza became the president of the trust and Dr. Abdul Wahid the secretary. Thus, a new institution, Alamin Medical Trust, was created. After some months, we identified a place to start the hospital in rented premises on Cunningham Road, which belongs to the Haji Sir Ismail Said Trust. We approached the legal advisor of the trust, Mr. SM Said, and he readily agreed to lease out the premises to our trust for starting a hospital. But there was one hitch. The property was under the house rent controller and he had allotted the property to Karnataka Agro Industries Corporation. Normally, it would have been a stupendous task to get the house property decontrolled from the rent controller. But we took a chance and entered into a lease agreement with uh, Haji Smilesay Trust on a rental of uh, 3,000 rupees per month for a 30-year lease. I was one of the founder trustees of the hospital. The other trustees were Mr. Humayun Mirza, Dr. H.G. Abdul Wahid, Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan, Mr. SM Yahya, Haji Ramzan and Mr. Muhammad Ali. Dr. Humayun Mirza used his influence with the Chief Secretary, Mr. Rebello, who was his close friend, for help to decontrol property from the rent controller. We never thought that our dream to establish a hospital would be realized so soon. Mr. Rebello instructed the Managing Director of the Agro Industries Corporation to surrender the position that they had taken and directed the rent controller to allot the property to the Alamin Medical Trust. That's how the trust now had a property. We decided to start an outpatient department, OPD, on the premises. Dr. Abdul Wahid devoted his time and attended the patients who came to the OPD in the initial days of the hospital. When it didn't have any facilities, a prominent Muslim businessman of Bangalore, Haji Malik, was admitted in the hospital. A real breakthrough came when he recovered from his illness and appreciated the efforts of the community and promised to donate 1 lakh rupees when we took up the construction of the hospital building. Another prominent and senior surgeon with a double FRCS and having served abroad for 25 years, Dr. Rahman Khan joined the hospital. Soon things started falling in place. The bungalow that belonged to Sir Haji Ismail Said Trust was located on one acre plot of land which was sufficient for a 100-bed multi-speciality hospital. A well-known architect, Mr. Razi Muhammad, came forward to offer his services to design the hospital free of cost. We prepared an ambitious building plan with zero capital. With the hope of getting 1 lakh rupees from Haji SM Malik, which was then big money, we decided to start the construction. Mr. Razi Muhammad had fixed the building contractor to construct the building. The trustees wanted the foundation for the hospital to be laid by a prominent person. We approached the then governor of Karnataka, Mr. Mohanlal Sukhadia, and the chief minister of Karnataka, Mr. D. Devrajas, as well as Mr. Aziz Said, for laying the foundation stone. The governor's secretariat asked us about the details of our trust, the funds we had for the hospital construction, etc. Except our determination to have a hospital, we had nothing. The governor's secretariat was surprised as to how we had approached the governor when we had no funds to start the building construction. But Mr. Aziz said, persuaded the governor and he accepted to lay the foundation stone of the Alamin hospital building. During his address at the foundation laying ceremony, the governor said, You have no funds to construct the hospital, yet you are laying foundation stone here today.
I know the people behind this project have determination and they will raise resources as the Muslim community is very resourceful. He also remarked that if Bangalore Muslims gave up watching one movie a month, they could contribute enough resources for building the hospital. We were inspired by the words of the governor and felt that with some sacrifices we could make a significant difference. The construction of the hospital began the very next day after the foundation stone was laid. Although we had no money in our account, we signed the contract with the contractor fixed by the architect from Mysore and promised to settle his bills within 15 days. The contractor's first bill was 2 lakh rupees. As per the agreement, we had to pay 2 lakh rupees against the first bill within 15 days of submitting that bill. We opened an account in the name of Alamin Medical Trust account. In the syndicate bank's city market branch, the manager of the bank was known to me. I told him that very soon we are expecting some donations and it might take some time. He told me to issue a check and said that he would allow a temporary overdraft. We issued a check and the manager, as promised, honored it. His assistance was a great boost. It built confidence in our prospective donors. In a short span of two years, donations flowed in and we speeded up the construction work, completing the first phase of hospital building with a capacity of 50 beds. We equipped the hospital by approaching hospital equipment providers and even installed a huge x-ray machines. Soon, the hospital became very popular with the dedicated involvement of uh, Dr. Wahid and Dr. Rahman Khan. Things were going on smoothly and the hospital received help from people, both financial as well as moral. Here, someone who needs to be commemorated for his role in the progress of the hospital is uh, Mr. Abdul Ghani, who was a coffee planter who, after selling off his plantation, settled in Bangalore. He completely devoted his life to serving the hospital, which he did till his final moment. Dr. Mumdaz Ahmed Khan assumed a pivotal role in the hospital within a few years. But as elsewhere, his attitude became dictatorial. He developed serious differences with Dr. Abdul Wahid. These differences led to enmity between the two. Dr. Mumtaz managed to carry the trustees of the Alamin Medical Trust to his side and sideline Dr. Abdul Wahid, who was entirely removed from the trust by Dr. Mumtaz. When I look at it now, all of us were guilty of not siding with Dr. Wahid. The dominating character of Dr. Mumtaz affected further progress of the hospital. It began to stagnate. Dr. Mumtaz Khan started to use the hospital premises as the Bangalore office of Alamin Medical College. No meetings to discuss various issues related to hospital were ever conducted by Mumtaz. In the hospital premises, in the hospital office, not a single meeting was conducted to discuss the issues related to hospital. Mumtaz was only concerned with the Alamin Medical College. In the hospital, he wanted to discuss the medical college issues. The exit of Dr. Wahid from the hospital was a big blow. And then onwards, the Alamin hospital began to disintegrate and its growth was retarded. The image of Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan before the Muslims was that of a crusader for the community. Very few people will have such an acknowledgement by the community as Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan had. Unfortunately, he did not live up to the expectations of the people. Because of his public image, the trustees of the Alamin movement also succumbed to his dictatorial attitude and never questioned him. Instead, they supported all his actions. He merged the Alamin Medical Trust with the Alamin Charitable Fund Trust and treated it as one entity. He totally ignored the hospital and left it to few doctors. 
I was very unhappy with the way hospital was being managed. It was my dream that uh, Bangladesh Muslims should have a well-equipped hospital which could serve the poor. But Dr. Mumtaz, with his dictatorial attitude, was never prepared to work in cooperation with others. As a result, the other core members of the Alameen movement and I lost interest in the day-to-day -day affairs of the hospital. Although we remained trustees, there came a point when serious differences developed between Dr. Mumtaz Khan and myself. People involved in the Alameen movement gathered to resolve the issue. It was decided that uh, the Alameen hospital on Cunningham Road would be handed over to a trust managed by me, MOU, a memorandum of understanding dated July 10, 2003 was signed by all the office bearers of the Alameen Educational Institutions and trustees of Alameen Charitable Fund Trust. But instead of handing over the hospital as per the MOU, Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan handed over the hospital along with the medical college to Mr. Ziaullah Sharif as the medical college had incurred heavy debts and Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan was unable to clear them, he stepped down from the trust and handed over the responsibility to Mr. Ziaullah Sharif. All these actions of Dr. Mumtaz were unilateral, except me. All the trustees of the Alameen Medical College, Medical Hospital and Charitable Fund Trust were all voiceless and never protested or questioned the unilateral actions of Dr. Mumtaz. Now the hospital, housed in a beautiful location, is run by Alameen Charitable Fund Trust. It is managed as an individual proprietary concern. Mr. Ziaullah Sharif is a very humble person and he has taken the responsibility of the trust at a crucial time. But he is a poor organizer and he has no expertise in managing service institutions. I have expressed my point of view to Mr. Sharif. As I still happen to be a member and vice president of the Alameen Charitable Fund Trust, I am opposed to the way he is managing both the hospital and the medical college. Posterity should realize how institutions like the hospital we started were built up and how due to wrong decisions and egoistic arrogant tendencies of the person managing them, they got destroyed. This is a lesson to be learned. With zero balance in the bank, the hospital was started with a dedicated team and the involvement of hundreds of people's sentiments and support. Posterity should realize how institutions like the hospital we started were built up and how, due to wrong decisions and egoistic, arrogant tendencies of the person managing them, they got destroyed. This is a lesson to be learned. With zero balance in the bank, the hospital was started with a dedicated team and the involvement of hundreds of people's sentiment and support. An institution that should cater to public should not be an institution in the hands of autocratic individuals who presume that they can run them in proprietorship manner. Those who are at the helm of affairs will be answerable to God for their election of their responsibilities and for betraying the trust of the people. I do not excuse myself either for not discharging my part of the responsibility, for not having raised a voice against Dr. Mumtaz at the right time. I didn't speak out then as I did not want to be an obstacle. I wanted to work together and build the institutions we had together started without any quarrels. I hope, I hope the community will save these institutions which are built for future generations too. If these institutions do not develop, not only will we be answerable to God, but also the future generations will curse us. 
the Alamin Medical College, a beautiful college in the historic Bijapur. It was somewhere during 1976-77 that Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan suggested that we set up a trust to generate income to promote education in the community and also to establish a medical college and to run other institutions from the surplus generated from the medical college we registered a trust in the name of alamin charitable fund trust acft with mr aziz said as president he was then minister of work and labor in karnataka mr c k jafar sharif as vice president dr mumtaz as secretary and myself as treasurer of the trust the trust applied for permission to start a medical college at that time mr devrajers was the chief minister of karnataka our application was not considered as the government had decided that uh, no further medical colleges would be permitted in bangalore at the fag end of mr devrajers government we were informed that government would be permitting opening of medical college at the district headquarters in the view of this policy of the government we started looking for a suitable district for this purpose dr mumtaz ahmed khan selected bijapur city in bijapur district the reason for this was that bijapur had a, a large muslim population and so was considered an appropriate location for the college but one disadvantage was bijapur is far from bangalore almost 550 kilometers in our enthusiasm we overlooked the disadvantage of this distance factor and selected bijapur In 1980, the Devrajas government fell, and Mr. Gundurao formed the government in Karnataka. Mr. A. K. Abdul Samad, one of the trustees of the Alamin Medical College, became health minister. One prerequisite for the medical college was that it should have a sufficient land and uh, have a 500-bed hospital owned by the trust, or that trust should have an arrangement with government hospital having 500 beds and a fund of 30 lakh rupees. Mr. Abdul Samad. the health minister of karnataka accorded permission to allow the government hospital in bijapur to be a hospital for clinical purposes of the proposed alamin medical college this was a very important achievement it was only because of mr abdul samad that we we could get this permission we acquired sufficient land at bijapur the only worry was the 30 lakh rupees stability funds in the bank we didn't have even 10000 rupees with us and nobody would have given us 30 lakh rupees at that time the amanat bank which was just 3 years old by then came to the rescue to create the requisite stability fund the bank sanctioned a loan of 30 lakh rupees to the alamin charitable fund trust the loan amount was transferred to the savings bank account of the medical college and the savings bank passbook was given to the indian medical council for obtaining permission to a medical college we fulfilled the formalities required for starting a medical college so that uh, we could get permission from the government of karnataka although mr abdul samad was health minister in the state he could not get permission during mr gundurao's government there were certain forces within the community itself who were working against us which uh, prevented us from getting permission for the college during this time i was chairman of the karnataka legislative council i used my influence to pursue shri ramkrishna hegde for permission for starting a medical college by the alamin charitable fund trust mr abdul nazir saab who was minister for rural development and leader for legislative council also helped me persuade the chief minister mr ramkrishna hegde for giving permission to start the medical college mr hegde had a great regard for me because he was happy about my impartiality in conducting the proceedings of uh, the legislative council whenever he came to my office for attending my business advisory committee meetings i used to remind him about our request for permission for a medical college for the muslim community 
by the grace of God, this worked out. And Mr. Hegde gave permission to start the medical college at Bijapur. With this, we could get permission from the Indian Medical Council to start the college. We had not constructed the building of the medical college. We took a temporary building in Bijapur with the help of Mr. R.B. Chaudhary, who was a member of parliament from Bijapur. He gave his ginning factory to initially start the medical college, but before we constructed our own buildings and stood along with us to sort out the local issues related to the college, several people contributed towards bringing up the college at Bijapur. Dr. Riyas Farooqi, a social worker from Bijapur city, joined Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan and helped build contacts with the local people. Another person without whom the construction of medical college would have been impossible was Mr. Ibrahim Khalilullah Khan a social worker and senior engineer from Kolhapur and a trustee. He put in so much effort when he was supervising the construction of the medical college that the strain may have led to his heart attack and he passed away. Another selfless worker was Haji Abdul Razak Sahab, who was a good friend to all of us. He used to accompany Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan during difficult days. I must mention here that Mr. Aziz said, then a minister in Karnataka, who was the first president of the Alamin Charitable Fund Trust, was unhappy with Mr. Mumtaz Ahmad Khan's dictatorial and autocratic attitude. Aziz said developed some differences with Mumtaz Khan and resigned from the trust. He felt that Dr. Mumtaz Khan would always use people and forget them later. Mr. Aziz said used to call this use and throw policy. Mr. C.K. Jafar Sharif succeeded Mr. Aziz said as the president of the trust. but. Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan hardly held any meetings when uh, Mr. Jafar Sharif was the president of the trust. Dr. Mumtaz removed Mr. Jafar Sharif as the president of the trust without his knowledge and made Mr. Maksud Ali Khan an ex-MP who was a vice president as the president of the trust. Mr. Maksud Ali Khan, who was a friend, guide and philosopher to all of us, served as the trustee of Alamein Charitable Fund Trust till his death. Another important person in the evolution of medical college was Dr. Abdul Karim, retired joint director of medical education, who was appointed as administrator to take care of the technical aspects of the management of the college. Although Dr. Abdul Karim turned out to be a very controversial person, he was honest and uh, fully dedicated to Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan. The timely help from the Islamic Development Bank of Jeddah of about 8 lakh US dollars was a great boost to the trust. This was the most substantial amount ever given by the Islamic Development Bank to any educational institution in India. The amount was given by the bank on a condition that 10% of the seats in the medical college should be earmarked for Muslim students from the poor families from the Muslim countries as to be recommended by the bank from time to time, but this never happened. In any case, the Alamin Medical College came into existence. We dreamt a dream in 1976-77 and it took almost 7 years to fulfill the dream. We started admitting students and began getting donations. We were able to take up construction of the medical college, starting from building administrative blocks, classrooms and hostel for both the boys and the girls. In about 4 years time, we had completed the first phase of construction. Over the years, Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan and uh, Dr. Abdul Karim became very powerful and began to ignore the trustees and the entire trust. Their dictatorial tendencies reflected on the administration of the medical college. Due to their attitude, the students of the college were on strike. The students were agitated with the dictatorial tendencies of uh, Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan and Dr. Abdul Karim and also the principal of the college, Dr. Khwaja. The students were on strike for about a month. The matter went up 
to the government and the government threatened that it would take over the college if the situation was not brought under control mr maksud ali khan and i rushed to bijapur talked to the students listened to their grievances persuaded them to withdraw the strike and brought them under control after this incident dr mumtaz and dr karim could not visit the college for 6 months i never allowed myself in matters relating to the admission of students to the medical college dr mumtaz ahmed khan mr abdul ghaffar haji latif and yunus said took care of admissions and other matters although i was a treasurer of the alamin charitable fund trust no accounts were either presented to me or to the trust Dr Mumtaz started to divert the medical college funds to other purposes including paying the deposits of AIFIC he himself was the managing director of AIFIC and he indiscriminately borrowed heavily from the Amanat Cooperative Bank to run the medical college activities when the situation was going out of control and i demanded the clarification on the accounts dr mumtaz clandestinely removed me removed me as a treasurer without a formal notice or even holding a meeting of the trustees i filed a suit challenging his action later on with the intervention of friends we resolved the issue by deciding that uh, alamin hospital would be managed by trust headed by me an mou was signed by the members present in the meeting it was never implemented the moment college started functioning funds started flowing in dr mumtaz took total control of the medical college as the trustees trusted him and believed whatever he was doing was for the good of the community from 1984 to the year 2002 he dealt with the finances of the medical college he began using the funds of the college not much for the development of college but to build his own image by disbursing funds to various other institutions his financial management was so bad that in the year 2002 he had incurred a debt of some 30 crore rupees even with that he was unable to manage the college he requested mr irfan razak from the prestige constructions to take over the trust and run it mr irfan razak accepted this offer and became the president of the trust but within a month of this offer dr mumtaz ahmed khan changed his mind maybe he was scared of all his mistakes being discovered by people maybe he was scared that uh, everything he had hidden will all come to light within a month of this offer dr mumtaz ahmed khan changed his mind and approached mr ziaullah of india builders to take over the trust to redeem the liabilities that had been incurred mr irfan razak and others who had come forward to help were disappointed mr razak and other trustees resigned from the trust because of this action by dr mumtaz mr riyas farooqi and i remained the trustees of the alamin charitable trust and did not resign while handing over the administration of the trust to mr ziaullah sharif dr mumtaz even handed over alamin hospital to him entirely completely ignoring the mou that was signed upon agreeing that the hospital should be handed over to the trust managed by me that mou was signed by all trustees of the alamin charitable fund trust alamin education society i reminded mr ziaullah sharif about the existence of the mou several times but he remained silent i also remained silent because i never doubted the integrity of mr ziaullah sharif and felt he should be given some more time to set right the medical college unfortunately it is almost 15 years now and nothing has changed except that few buildings have come up in the college premises the alamin hospital which was to be handed over to me had become like a personal property of uh, ziaullah sharif's daughter miss hina none of the trustees were aware that how this hospital is being managed 
Ziaullah Sharif is one individual who does things as they come to his mind. He doesn't believe in meetings, discussions, consensus, anything. He doesn't observe the formalities required to be followed by an organized trust. People like Mr. Ziaullah Sharif, their intentions when they work in social organizations are good, but they ignore the need to run the organization in a collective spirit, which is a basic requirement of any such institution. Sometimes the trustees like me who have lot of exposure may point out their mistakes and remind them of their responsibilities but one trustee alone will not be able to bring change in such an organization that comes to be dominated by a single individual this is a general phenomenon in the case of alamin institutions which started with the involvement of a team an individual began to dominate the trust which led to a loss of team spirit when Ziaullah was inducted into the management of Alamein Medical College and Alamein Hospital by Mumtaz. An impression was spread among public that Dr. Mumtaz had sold the college for thirty crore rupees to Ziaullah Sharif. Initially, Mr. Sharif also had this impression innocently. The real facts are that the Alamein Charitable Fund Trust had taken a loan of thirty crore rupees from Amanat Bank, and to pay the loan, trust had taken a loan of thirty crore rupees from Jammu and Kashmir Bank. and paid back amanat bank jammu and kashmir bank also demanded the repayment of loans mr ziaullah sharif was a major customer of jammu and kashmir bank the bank insisted on a guarantor for repayment of loans and ziaullah sharif stood as the guarantor for the loan and hence the question of his buying the college did not arise some of his family members joined the trust as uh, trustees in the vacancies that were caused by resignations of some of the trustees see The Alamin Charitable Fund Trust is a public charitable trust enjoying all the related tax exemptions. The charitable fund trust or its properties cannot be sold or cannot be the property of any individual. I am stating this to remove the misconception among some people that Alamin Medical College had been purchased by Mr. Ziaullah Sharif or his family. The Alamin Charitable Fund Trust remains a public charitable fund trust. It is not a private property or individual property of any individual or his family or relatives or friends or anything. The real story of Amanat Bank spending my best years building the bank when friends betray who needs enemies. Right from the first day of my articleship as a chartered accountant I started my career with banking. Banking is an essential part of development and plays a very important role in economic growth of individuals and the society and the nation as a whole. If we look at the banking scenario before the independence many banks were initially started to promote the economic development of a particular section of society barring the banks like Imperial Bank which was floated by British government in our own state the canara bank was started by konkani brahmins the syndicate bank by brahmins from south canara and the corporation bank by muslims from south canara after the partition of the country there was not a single bank promoted by the muslims in the country the only exception was mercantile cooperative bank in mumbai started by bohra muslims the absence of banks promoted by the muslim community affected their economic development it was only after the nationalization of banks that some credit flow was coming to the muslims but this was very negligible even to this day the credit flow that is available to other communities is much more when compared to the credit flow that is available to the muslims 
the Muslim community depended for credit loans on money lenders or pawnbrokers for their monetary requirements and they had to pay huge rates of interest. As a chartered accountant, in this scenario, I was wondering, at the height of negligence in the field of banking among Muslims, one of the reasons why Muslims are not too enthusiastic about uh, banking is the prohibition of interest in Islam. There are not too many institutions which cater to the credit needs of Muslims based on the Islamic principles. Faced with this dilemma, few Muslims venture into banking sector or even create their own institutions based on Islamic principles. Whenever, whenever I raise this issue with uh, friends or acquaintances about this lukewarm attitude among Muslims about setting up a bank of their own, the usual response was very negative all the time. The same old rattle that uh, Muslims cannot run a bank and cannot manage it. Once Mr. A.K. Abdul Samad, who was associated with the Karnataka Silk Marketing Cooperative Society, and I visited the office of the Joint Registrar for Cooperative Societies, who also happened to be the ex-officio Joint Registrar for Pawnbrokers. According to Pawnbrokers Act, if valuables like jewels are placed with pawnbrokers and they want to dispose them for non-payment of loans, they have to inform the concerned Joint Registrar and display the names of the defaulters on the notice board of the joint registrar. While we were waiting to see the registrar, we glanced through the notice board and found that perhaps around 90% of defaulters were Muslims. We tried to analyze the reason for such a large number of persons who are going to pawnbrokers being Muslims and particularly poor Muslims for whom there was no easy way of availability of credit when they need money for domestic purposes. These people were compelled to pledge their valuables and take loans at an exorbitant rate of interest. This was somewhere in 1975. There was then not a single organized agency like a bank or a cooperative society in Bangalore for catering to the financial needs of poor Muslims. I deliberated on this with our friends with an idea of establishing a bank. A joint stock bank was not possible as the Reserve Bank of India was not sanctioning new banks. The only possibility was to have a bank in the cooperative sector. We applied for registration of a cooperative society in the name of uh, Amanat Cooperative Society Limited to start a bank. The registrar declined to give permission as there were instructions from the RBI not to permit the opening of new cooperative banks. Luckily, however, the registrar of the cooperative society, Mr. Jaykumar Rangole, had paid a visit to the Silk Marketing Cooperative Society. Mr. A.K. Abdul Samad made a personal request to registrar to grant permission to register the society as Amanat Cooperative Bank. The registrar who belonged to the Jain community, which also a minority community, was a very kind man. He said that morally he would not be able to reject the request because he had granted permission for a bank to be started by the Jain community. He agreed to permit the registration of the society with certain conditions. The conditions were that there should be 3,000 members instead of 2,000 members as per the guidelines. Initial share capital should be 3 lakh rupees instead of 2 lakh rupees as per the guidelines. There should also be few non-Muslim members on the board and the area of operation of the society should be restricted to 9 districts of Old Mysore, Kur and South Canara. We were fortunate to get the services of Mr. Chandrasekharaya, a retired senior manager of Vaishya Bank, a very humble and dedicated person. He assisted in drafting the bylaws and got the society registered. He also prepared a blueprint for the bank. He guided the promoters with assistance from, from Vaishya Bank with his old connections. After registering the society, bank, 
we applied to RBI for a license to start the urban bank. Luckily for us, a very senior officer of RBI, Mr. Pira, helped at every stage. After a long process with some persuasion, the banking license was issued to the Amanat Cooperative Bank in January 1977, restricting the area of corporations of the bank to the Bangalore city only. The newly licensed bank was inaugurated on 13 January 1977 by the Chief Minister of Karnataka, Mr. Devrajas, along with the Mr. Aziz said, Minister for Works, with a paid-up capital of 3 lakh rupees, 3,000 members, and an initial deposit of 10 lakh rupees. The bank rented a small place, about 800 square feet, as an office in Bangalore's Silver Jubilee Park Road. People doubted whether Muslims would be able to run a bank and were skeptical about its success. Right from the day one, however, I took it as a challenge and devoted much of my time to try to make it a successful venture. The bank developed step by step and very soon proved that apprehensions of people were wrong. Within a year, the bank moved from its small premises to a spacious building belonging to the Majlis-e Milia Islamia spread over area of about 5,000 square feet on JC Road. Initially, I was criticized by the board of directors for venturing to rent such a huge place. Very soon, their apprehensions proved wrong and the bank's growth was so fast that we had to take almost the entire building except a few shops on the ground floor. Soon, the bank opened branches and many youths were provided employment. Although it was a small bank when compared to many other banks, it gave a big boost to the Muslim community who felt it was difficult for them to get credit from the organized sector and they had to approach money lenders and pay an exorbitant rate of interest. Amanat Bank created a confidence in the community that when the need arose, there was their own bank to help them. Normally, cooperative banks function in a traditional way. They also look traditional when compared to commercial banks. From day one, I envisioned that uh, Amanat Bank should have a modern outlook. We created a similar ambience in all our branches. Mr. Chandrasekharaya strengthened the bank by training the staff and took care of compliance with the guidelines of the RBI. Although the entire effort of setting up the bank and its managing was done by me, I never tried to occupy the president's post. We made Mr. Abdul Ghaffar Haji Latif a prominent businessman the president. Later, after around a decade, Mr. Emar Khalil, also a businessman, became the president. In the beginning, bank demanded much of my time. As the staff was newly recruited without much banking background except Mr. Chandrasekharaya, our depositors not just invested their hard-earned money with us, but also their immense trust in the bank. Taking Amanat Bank forward and living up to the trust of the customers who had reposed their trust, who had reposed their confidence in us was a great challenge for me. My dream was to develop the bank and explore ways and means to improve its functioning. It was decided not to bring outsiders for managing the bank and to provide an opportunity to our own staff of the bank itself to develop and to occupy higher posts in the bank. One purpose for establishing the bank was to create employment opportunities for the young graduates in the bank. The bank introduced schemes of advancing loans to small vendors like vegetable sellers, food retailers, auto rickshaw drivers, etc. This scheme was primarily for such borrowers who otherwise paid an exorbitant rate of interest for loans from pawnbrokers and money lenders. Our interest rate was a, a fraction of what was charged by the money lenders. Consequently, a number of borrowers who were economically poor and had no practice of uh, saving 
became depositors in the bank and we saw how life changed for them over a short period of time very soon amanat bank became one of the largest urban cooperative banks in karnataka it was now a bank for masses not just for muslims at one time amanat bank was the single largest bank to advance loans for those who wanted to purchase and apply auto rickshaws in bangalore when commercial banks stopped financing loans for auto rickshaws the then chief minister of karnataka mr ramkrishna hegde requested amanat bank to provide loans for those who wanted to purchase auto rickshaws in a record breaking event amanat bank issued loans for 100 auto rickshaws on a single day amanat bank was now growing and naturally its branches needed space to spread out and flourish we opened branch on siddayya road RT Nagar and many other places in Bangalore we also applied for the expansion of the bank outside the Bangalore city and got permission to start branches in South Canara and uh, Mysore districts in the year 1993 the RBI placed a proposal before the Amanat Bank board to take over the Sikh Muslim Cooperative Bank of Belgaum after finalization of terms and conditions of the merger the RBI soon merged the Muslim Cooperative Bank of Belgaum with the Amanat Bank The fame of Amanat Bank spread rapidly not just in Karnataka but uh, across other parts of India too. Visitors book of the bank carried names of dignitaries like uh, Sheikh Abdullah, Chief Minister of Jammu and Kashmir, Mr Pranab Mukherjee, who later became the President of India, Dr Manmohan Singh, ex Prime Minister of India, Mr Ahmed Muhammad Ali, President of the Islamic Development Bank Jeddah. These are a few names of the many. I was also awarded the Sahakar Ratna Award, the highest award in the cooperative sector by the government of Karnataka for my contributions to the field of cooperative banking. The next milestone of the bank was computerization. The computerization of the banking industry was then at a very initial stage and many bank employees were against this process. Banks were hesitant to computerize at this stage. I explored the possibility of introducing computers in our bank. initial attempts failed as there was no proper banking software at that time infosys a software giant today was functioning from a very small office in jayanagar they approached me and introduced presented details of the software that they had created for banking i was convinced that their software would be useful we decided to purchase the banking software of infosys for 3 lakh rupees mr nandan nilekani the man who gave aadhar to india was one of the director of infosys then and he personally came to me to sell this software we were possibly among first customers of infosys in bangalore the software proved useful and simultaneously with the growth of amanat bank and the advance of technologies in infosys they suggested that we buy the source code a formula for creating software we bought the source code for 8 lakh rupees and created a separate it department for in house computerization with these developments Amanat Bank was way ahead of other banks in terms of computerization. The Amanat Bank became a member of the Indian Bank Association and the National Federation of Urban Cooperative Banks. The bank's deposit and income began growing and uh, we started paying dividends to the shareholders apart from distributing scholarships to students through Alamin Scholarship Committee. The bank also helped its shareholders who are mostly Muslims in providing credit for purchase of properties and by providing finance or advances to poor Muslims to get relief from the clutches of pawnbrokers several leading businesses such as uh, Prestige Builders India Builders Nandi Housing Meenakshi Steel and ITC distributors were among the customers of the bank 
Mr. Muhammad Asadullah was one of the finest employees of the bank and he rose to become the bank's chief executive officer, CEO. He was directly trained by Mr. Chandrasekharaiya as his deputy. His rise was step by step. First as accountant, then as manager, then as senior manager and then as uh, GM, general manager. Over the years, he became one of the important functionaries of the bank as CEO. The bank's day-to-day functioning was uh, his responsibility as per the bylaws of the bank. The bank had no full-time director. The authority of the president and director was limited. The Reserve Bank of India's directives prohibited the director's interference in the routine activities of the bank. Till I was elected as member of the Rajya Sabha, I used to visit the bank regularly and monitor its activities. After I became MP, I had to spend more time in Delhi and I would visit the bank whenever I was in Bangalore. As president of the bank, my entire concentration was on taking the bank to greater heights. The more the bank's deposits increased, the more the advances did. While advancing loans, we were very cautious. All our advances were security-oriented. The Reserve Bank of India started giving scheduled status to some selected cooperative banks based on the deposits and advances level. To be eligible for the scheduled bank status, the bank had to have deposits of, of at least 200 crore rupees. We worked to achieve this target. My entire concentration was to reach the target of getting the scheduled bank status for the Amanat Cooperative Bank. The bank was functioning very well, fully computerized and with ATMs. And soon it became the largest urban cooperative bank among the roughly 200 cooperative banks in Karnataka. The credit for this goes to all the stakeholders of the bank, including the depositors, customers, borrowers and others who had reposed their confidence in the bank. In 1994, it was decided that the bank should have its own corporate office we had a considerable reserve fund and were looking for a building or a site to relocate the corporate office. We approached Mr. Irfan Razakh and he came up with an offer. He had a place in a prime location in Shivajinagar in the center of Bangalore where he could construct a building exclusively for the bank. The board examined the proposal and we entered into an MOU for the construction of the building at a cost a little less than the prevailing market rate. By 1999, a beautiful corporate building was constructed and we moved to our new office to run the banking operations from Shivajinagar. My dream of having Amanat Bank as a scheduled bank was fulfilled in 1999 when the bank received that status. On the 13th January 2002, Amanat Bank completed 25 years and we celebrated its silver jubilee in Bangalore's palace grounds. This was not my achievement alone, rather it was a collective achievement, including that of the board of directors and the community. The bank's Silver Jubilee event was attended by the then Chief Minister of Karnataka, Mr. S.M. Krishna. I specially invited Mr. Nanda Nilekani, the director and the CEO of Infosys, who lauded the bank. At this juncture of the story of Amanat Bank, I must pause and look back and wonder How, when everything seemed to be going so well, many things were about to change. The proverbial lull before the storm. What exactly happened is a question that is still difficult for me to answer even today. But I have to analyze now what exactly went wrong in the Amanat Bank saga. Although I was the president of the Amanat Bank for only five years, I was involved in the building up the bank right from the day one major decisions related to the bank and its development were taken by me. 
so much so that everybody in the bank began to associate it with me i became the bank's public face and enjoyed complete confidence of the bank's board both mr abdul gafar haji latif and mr khalil who were presidents of the bank before me always acted on my advice all loans were sanctioned only after my scrutiny on behalf of the board and i was involved in the recruitment of the staff you might have heard these days people talk about a proper balance between the pressures and demands of a career and family but in my case the balance tilted considerably more towards my career and public life bringing up young and fragile child that amanat bank was and taking care of it for a quarter of a century was not the only thing i was doing during this period I was the chairman of the Alamin Education Society for 18 years. I was managing the Salar publications first as a journalist, then as a trustee. At the same time, I was a member of the legislative council and then chairman of the council in Karnataka. I served as the chairman of the minorities commission besides being the general secretary and the vice president of the state congress committee and then the member of the parliament. all of this took a major chunk of my time and energy leaving me limited time for my family and my own profession as a chartered accountant i trusted people and never got caught in the web of jealousy i never aspired for power pell for position but my success did not go down well with everyone many people inside the alamin movement and outside it were jealous of me i however realized this rather late The general public respected me because of my involvement in promoting various institutions. They understood and respected my sincerity. But what hurt me terribly was that there were certain people who praised me to my face but actually were waiting to see my downfall. During this period, my children grew up. My two daughters and three sons got married. I wanted my children to settle down. My eldest son, Maksud, got into construction business. My second son, Mansoor, launched a garment business and then shifted to medical transcription. My third son, Masood, became a doctor. In the cooperative banks, the directors and their relatives are entitled to borrow from the bank as shareholders. The loans to the directors and their relatives should not exceed 10% of the total advances of the bank. The advances given to the directors and their relatives should be filed quarterly to the RBI as per the RBI's guidelines like several other directors and their relatives my son and son-in-law who are also shareholders of the bank also borrowed from the bank due to ups and downs in their business the loans taken by them became non-performing assets npa and overdue however the loans taken by my son and my son-in-law were secured interest and compound interest were loaded and total advances due to be paid by my son and son-in-law increased though the increase was not due to fresh borrowings the audit of cooperative banks is conducted by the cooperative audit department who were independent representatives of the cooperative department the amanat bank because of its size had three auditors of the cooperative department permanently placed at the bank they checked every transaction of the bank and if there was any deviation they were to report to the board on 22nd of march the year 2002 i was traveling to parliament when i received a phone call from the senior manager of amanat nr road branch mr shafiullah who told me that uh, some income tax officers had come to the bank and were seeking information about bank's customers to maintain the secrecy of the customers bank account 
sweeping information should not be asked about the customers of the bank by the tax authorities but they have the power to ask specific information of a particular customer in writing i spoke to an income tax officer and he clarified that he wanted only specific information about a particular account i directed the bank manager to cooperate with the income tax officers and provide all the information as required after the investigation by the officers it was found that the general manager senior manager and the accountant of the bank had committed a fraud and had created a loan to purchase a property on brigade road for about 3 and 1/2 crore rupees by creating benami loan account the income tax department found more transactions by the general manager in his name and in the name of his relatives i was in delhi i immediately rushed to bangalore from delhi and interrogated the general manager about the benami transactions and the unauthorized loans that he had advanced i issued him a notice to disclose the list of loans which he had given without the permission of the board these loans amounted to an enormous 37 crore rupees i immediately called a board meeting and apprised the board of this disaster the loans given were all benami the general manager had purchased lands in the name of his relatives this came as a terrible shock to me and the board our primary concern was to safeguard and protect the bank's funds i informed the board that uh, as the president of the bank i would take full moral responsibility for what happened i assured the board that i would take appropriate steps to recover the benami amounts within 6 months and would proceed legally against the three officials who were involved but unfortunately the board was influenced by dr mumtaz ahmed khan who decided to use this opportunity to malign me indirectly asking me to step down as the president so that he could succeed me after consulting with the experts the board decided to take the original documents of the loan sanctioned by the general manager and the senior manager as security of the benami accounts and created a mortgage in favor of the bank and transferred the benami loan accounts to the people who had utilized the money the real borrower signed the necessary documents and mortgaged the properties purchased by them the general manager and the other two officials were asked to proceed on leave and face investigation when i was facing this crisis dr mumtaz and some of the directors who were jealous of me took advantage of the situation and indirectly spread rumors that uh, the general manager could not have committed such a massive fraud without my knowledge dr mumtaz who was waiting for this opportunity as he was feeling uncomfortable because of my position in the entire alamin movement took advantage and tried to meddle in the bank's affairs when he was not even a director of the bank the board pressured me to take dr mumtaz into the board for assisting me i told members of the board that i had no objection to this and he entered the board when the board members themselves began spreading rumors it was obvious that it had caused immense damage to not only my image but also to the bank's image to curb these rumors i held meetings with customers and depositors in every branch and explained the real facts to them exhorting them not to panic and not to withdraw their deposits it was not at all easy to convince them to trust me and the bank I deeply appreciate the confidence of the bank's customers in me and the bank. Despite the best efforts of my detractors, the bank's deposits remained unaffected. The deposits of the bank as on 31st of March, the year 2002, amounted to 480 crore rupees. When I left the bank in the August 2002, not even a crore of rupees was withdrawn. The bank was slowly coming back to normalcy again, but Dr. Mumtaz started conspiring after entering the board. 
and desired to become the president of the bank when I was technically to be re-elected after two and a half years. Dr. Mumtaz wanted to contest for the post of the president. I sensed the mood of the board and decided not to contest. So, Dr. Mumtaz became the president of the bank in the year 2002. What was significant here is that uh, the fraud by the general manager was taking place since previous 2-3 years. The auditors never detected the fraud or did not report it to the board. The board of directors are not supposed to participate in the day-to-day -day functioning of the bank. The general manager was the CEO of the bank and day-to-day -day functioning and accountability were responsibilities of the CEO. The board's responsibility was to take policy decisions and the president's role was only the overall supervision of the bank. But the bank normally worked through the CEO and any fraud or gross violation of the rules and guidelines of the RBI by the CEO or by any officials of the bank was supposed to be reported to the board by the auditors. Unfortunately, a big fraud had taken a place and the auditors who were stationed in the bank itself and checking day-to-day -day transactions never detected it and did not report it to the board. Until it was detected by the income tax officer, the board was not aware that this fraud had taken place. So it was total failure of the audit and the primarily of such officials whom the bank had trusted. But in the whole episode, the investigation under Section 34 or in other investigations, they conveniently ignored the role of the auditors in the fraud. I left the bank in August 2002. As I mentioned earlier, Dr. Mumtaz became the president. He didn't know banking. He had no administrative abilities. No board member was qualified to assist him. Within 10 months of his taking over as president, he could not manage the bank. And he expressed his inability to do so. He requested Mr. Ziaullah Sharif, who was one of the directors of the bank, to take over as president. Ziaullah Sharif was a successful businessman and builder, but he had no banking experience, nor was he aware of the intricacies of the banking business. He started to manage the bank in all sincerity and worked towards recovering the outstanding loans to recover the loans against the non-performing assets, NPA, he offered the borrowers a one-time settlement proposal to those whose loan had become an NPA. And to great extent, he succeeded in recovering NPAs of about 800 to 900 borrowers and those accounts were closed. The fraud committed by the CEO of 37 crore rupees by now had become 60 crore due to addition of interest. The properties which were purchased by the general manager in his relative's name were very valuable, but the documents were faulty and it required a lot of effort to scrutinize and set right the defects in the documents. It would have been difficult if proper action had not been taken to realize the money. There were certain legal defects in those documents and some of the properties were disputed and needed intense efforts to realize the amount by selling these properties, but nobody took interest. And the CEO who had committed the fraud was non-cooperative. Because of non-realization of this fraudulent amount, the net worth of the bank had been affected and the entire amount was considered as NPA, a non-performing asset. The RBI insisted on recovery of loans and the bank was facing an extremely difficult situation. Mr. Ziaullah Sharif went to the extent of assuring the RBI that he would give his own property worth 60 crore rupees as additional collateral security to secure the fraudulent loans. And to this effect, he issued a commitment letter also to the RBI. 
when this was going on the cooperative societies ordered an inquiry under 63 under section 63 by 1 of registrar cooperative societies act the inquiry officer clearly held that the three officials were responsible for the fraud later the registrar ordered another inquiry under section 64 of the cooperative societies act the inquiry reports held three officers Muhammad Asadullah, Shafiullah and K Hidayatullah were responsible for siphoning off the funds of the bank. It also held that there were certain administrative lapses and violation of guidelines. The report stated that the president and the former president had assured that they could realize these fraudulent amounts within a year and the inquiry officer recommended that the board should be given one year time to recover the fraudulent loans and submitted the statutory report to the registrar. At the same time added to all these troubles Mr Jafar Sharif and I had uh, strained relations due to political reasons the developments in the Amanat Bank came in handy to Mr Sharif to target me and he joined along with those who were against me to damage me some political leaders were rejoicing and started spreading rumors about me Mr Jafar Sharif took advantage of this situation and started writing letters to the chief minister of Karnataka to initiate action against me when some politicians were trying to tarnish my image in the same year during my second term as member of the rajya sabha i became deputy leader of the congress parliament party in the rajya sabha the leader being dr manmohan singh as deputy leader i was deputy leader of the opposition also this further infuriated my opponents some of them being mlas and former ministers they tried to raise the matter of uh, amanat bank in karnataka legislative assembly also and i requested the home minister to refer the matter for investigation to the cid the cid after interrogating all the concerned people and all the directors held three officials of the bank as perpetrators of the crime and charge sheeted and arrested them my opponents were not happy that the cid had given a clean sheet to the directors and they used mr jafar sharif to harass me at that time kumar swami had become the chief minister of karnataka mr jafar sharif who is a very senior politician and a former union minister persuaded kumar swami to supersede the board of the bank mr kumar swami to please mr sharif without following the proper procedure or without informing the reserve bank of india which is the regulatory body of the bank superseded the amanat cooperative bank and dissolved the board and appointed an administrator but i left the bank in the year 2002 i had nothing to do with the bank the board of the bank was superseded in the year 2006 so there was no reason for mr jafar sharif to have any animosity against me or even feel jealous as i was not in the board of the bank his only intention was to harm my image not to help the bank i was not able to understand why mr jafar sharif took such a senseless effort to ask the chief minister to supersede the bank instead he should have offered his assistance for the revival of the bank I felt that if Jafar Sharif had any differences with me he could have called me and we would have had an across the table dignified discussion and sorted out whatever misunderstandings were there Mr Jafar Sharif was also a beneficiary the bank assisted him many a times whenever he needed funds I am of an opinion that if a person is a public figure and a well known person in the community he or she must be very careful about what he or she says or does as it affects the institution and the community at large with great respect for mr jafar sharif who is no more i still like to emphasize that his action of asking the chief minister to supersede the amanat bank was indeed a big disservice to the community then mr javed akhtar 
IAS was appointed as administrator of the bank and then after a month he was replaced by Mr Nisar Ahmed an IPS officer and administrator and Mr Nagarajaya joint registrar of cooperative societies was appointed as general manager Mr Nisar Ahmed knew me and my contribution very well both he and Mr Nagarajaya tried to pick faults against me they never concentrated on improving the bank's business and increasing its deposits they even tampered with the report under section 64 which was already submitted to the registrar of the societies before the bank was superseded the registrar had issued a copy of the report to a few people under rti they fraudulently altered the report in connivence with the inquiry officer and the original report was replaced by the altered report and handed over for the scrutiny in the altered report they held that all the directors were responsible for the fraud and stated that criminal action had to be initiated against the directors whereas the original report had recommended giving one year time to the board for realizing the fraudulent accounts the conspiracy was out after my struggle and fight for several years voicing that the report was altered it was only then that uh, the officials in charge of the scrutiny admitted that there were two reports one original and the other the manipulated altered report one is original and the other one an altered manipulated forged and the action was initiated against the directors based on the altered manipulated forged report the registrar of the cooperative society admitted officially that there were two reports now while uh, reflecting on the story of amanat bank and several other such institutions that i have discussed earlier i feel that one of the reasons why most institutions managed by muslims face failure is the pathetic state of muslim leadership in times of crisis instead of standing together unitedly they destroy each other with blame games inflated egos temper tantrums and uncouth behavior not that the community has no resources but they are unable to build institutions of national importance because because of mutual distrust egoistic tendencies jealous attitudes and corruption amanat bank is a classic example to illustrate how an institution which was built brick by brick for over 25 years and achieved name and fame was destroyed at put my heart and soul for about 25 years quarter of a century which were the most productive years of my life to build the bank brick by brick inch by inch a bank which served the needs of the community which benefited thousands of people but a various ungrateful power hungry people in the community and inside the bank destroyed it their deceitful actions led to the decline of an institution that could have been one of the largest urban cooperative banks in the entire country the story of amanat bank has many lessons for the muslim community and for those who claim to be its leaders who are least bothered about the community with such type of leadership what is the future of the community hmm? it is time for the community to introspect i'm happy that uh, the present management under the leadership of uh, mr sayed abdul kabir who is a ca like me is trying to revive the bank in spite of facing humiliations i extend my full and complete support to mr kabir in his efforts the biggest mistake i ever made I didn't dare question anyone. I trusted all and sundry too much. In my journey of 50 working years and through all my achievements in the social and political fields, I have committed errors and mistakes. This I realized much later in life after reflecting deeply. When my friends and I were working in the Alamein movement, we were very dedicated and selfless. 
Nobody was seeking any position or power. Everybody was completely involved in this noble mission. Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan, who pioneered the Alamin movement, naturally occupied a pivotal role in day-to-day affairs of the movement. To build a movement, perfect cooperation is essential. Nobody questioned Dr. Mumtaz and his authority about anything. In every institution that we set up under the umbrella of the Alamin movement, he became the head. Here, I do not want to undermine Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan's work, but the fact remains that although he lacked many abilities, his most important and strong quality was that he was a great pursuer and used to do extensive follow-up of every bit of institutional work. The major quality I can I truly appreciate about him is his persuasive role in the entire Alamin movement. As the movement progressed, Dr. Mumtaz's authority over the institutions also increased. He began taking unilateral decisions without consulting anyone, without any consent from any other member of the movement. He would pursue people till he wanted some work done out of them and once it was done, he would forget them and move on. You must have heard the saying, use and throw. Many people stood by Dr. Mumtaz like a rock and supported him during the difficult days of the Alamin movement, such as uh, Mr. Aziz said, Dr. Wahid, Mr. Ibrahim Khalilullah Khan, Mr. Irfan Razakh, Mr. Atik Ahmed and many others, including me. They put their heart and soul in many institutions that the movement spawned. But Dr. Mumtaz did not acknowledge their contributions and ignored them. These individuals, the good souls, were disillusioned by his behavior. But they never uttered a word of complaint. What shocked me also was that Dr. Mumtaz considered himself very selfless. He would term many decisions to be hidayat, a guidance directly coming from God. Over the years, with the cash flow coming from the Alameen Medical College, he freed himself from any accountability and did not feel the need to inform other members about where the funds were going and for what purpose. I feel today that uh, for Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan to develop this dictatorial attitude, all the members of the Alameen Education Society, including myself, were responsible. None of us questioned his decisions or attitude. I was the treasurer of the Alameen Medical College and holding the important post, I failed to question the financial bungling and misappropriation of funds that came into the medical college. As a treasurer, it was my duty to keep a watch and monitor Dr. Mumtaz Ahmed Khan, his dealings and even question him. But for the sake of peace and harmony among the members of the Alameen Education Society and because of the trust we all had in him, we kept quiet. For the sake of unity and peace, I did not do my duty as chartered accountant by scrutinizing Dr. Mumtaz Khan's money matters. Also, as a treasurer of the Alameen Medical College, I did not question his decisions and destructions. That is the biggest mistake I made in my life. Another mistake I made, for which I suffered greatly, was during my association with uh, the Amanat Bank. I trusted the general manager of the bank, Muhammad Asadullah, as he was one of the earliest employees of the bank. I failed to listen to the rumors and allegations that were being made against him. I initially thought that people were jealous of his progress and position, so they wanted to bring him down through allegations. Even my wife cautioned me that the rumors about Asadullah could be true, but I ignored her warning. By the time I learned that the allegations against him were true, 
it seemed like it was too late for me to take any action against him i feared that taking strict measures against him would affect the entire bank so instead i brought in structural changes in the bank to curb asadullah's powers over the bank i brought an outsider banker to oversee the operations of the bank and to advise bank's board this actually backfired against me he used bank officials and staff in the bank to protest this intrusion of an outsider banker into amanat bank as a move to curb his power or insult him the credibility of amanat bank was lost under his supervision also he tarnished my image my 25 years of hard work to build the amanat bank among the most precious years of my life my 25 years of hard work to build the amanat bank among the most precious years of my life had been ruined and crushed by this one man and his bunch of trouble makers i trusted this general manager too much and the bank was utterly damaged and sinking under his so called leadership i was rather late in taking action against him and saving the bank from becoming like the sinking titanic i feel that the board of directors of the amanat bank should have been more forceful in making me take a more harsh action against the general manager and his team who burgled the bank in the broad daylight if this loot had not happened i'm sure my name would have been carved today in the golden letters for building a successful bank in the history of muslim community